With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. King David Lane, this King David Lane on just about every social media platform. So give me a like, follow, and request, and I will probably give you one in return. Also like King David Comedy, that's comedy with a K. King David Comedy with a K. Anyway, we're here to talk about wrestling and problems and stuff. So we had a lot of wrestling to talk about both from the current era and the bygone era. But I do want to get some shameless. This won't be self-promotion this time. I will do some of that probably later, but this is not shameless self-promotion. This is shameless promotion for charity. Uh, The same program at St. Mary's Hospital uh, is looking for donations for kids. So you can donate dolls, you can donate uh, stuffed animals, even like stuffed animals, you know, the kinds with, you know, bellies on it and stuff like that. Uh, you can donate crayons, coloring books. Uh, my rugby club, that's uh, Northwest Indiana Rugby Club, uh, we're the Reapers. Uh, you can go on uh, Instagram and get more details at NWI Rugby, or you can go on Facebook, Northwest Indiana uh, Rugby Club, uh, and see the event for more details. But if you can donate to that, like I said, they're taking both donations of, you know, crayons, coloring books, uh, that sort of thing. Really anything for children that you can donate, we'd appreciate it as well. If it's new or gently used items, so uh, please do that. Uh, it's a wonderful cause to donate. You can really bring a smile to some of those kids' faces. And a lot of times these kids are going through rough stuff. If you do a little bit more research on the same program, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, but please donate if you can. Again, like I said, you can go on uh, Twitter and get the email, uh, get the information about it uh, at NWI Rugby on Twitter as well, at NWI Rugby on uh, 
Instagram, as well as the Louisiana Rugby Club on Facebook. So definitely check that out. And again, if you don't, uh, we do have several drop-off locations where you can like drop things off. Uh, you can uh, drop it off at Regional Nutritional Station in Vienna. Obviously, we do have a national and international audience, so obviously it might be easier for you to donate via uh, certain apps. Uh, you can donate uh, on Cash App, Dollar Sign NWI Rugby, or on Venmo at NWI Rugby as well. So anything you can donate, we greatly appreciate. But definitely help this wonderful cause and help some kids in need. Anyway, let's get into some wrestling stuff, and then I'll do some promotion later. Uh, it's been a rough few days in the wrestling community. Uh, we've had a death. We'll have a serious health issue. It will probably, unfortunately, probably lead to a death sooner rather than later. I don't want to speculate on exact numbers as far as that goes, but uh, we did recently find out that Terry Funk uh, has been uh, diagnosed with dementia. If you follow the account that uh, sort of, you know, handles a lot of his online stuff, the, the authorized Twitter account for him is uh, at the Dirty Funker. It's uh, run by uh, uh, another uh, entity that's associated with him, at Graph USA. Anyway, these are the only, uh, quote, Twitter account that represents him. Uh, there was a tweet posted July 6th. Uh, yes, Mr. Funk is currently receiving residential care for his multiple health issues, which do not, which do affect his mind as well as the rest of his body. As you can imagine, some days are better than others. He and his family appreciate all the time where it's forever. Uh, and like I said, you know, Terry Funk's one of those guys who, he will retire and you, the first few times you're like, okay, he's retired. After that, you realize he actually did admit, yeah, I'm never probably going to retire, but I noticed he had an, uh, wrestled in like I believe three or four years now so I kind of wonder what was going on with that but uh, now it kind of makes a lot more sense obviously uh, you know his brother wrestled you know very very late very late in life he he was wrestling relatively late in life too so you're still wrestling in your 70s (laughs) Uh, that shows you how tough of a guy you are but uh now, unfortunately, uh, many things don't last forever. The expression is nothing lasts forever, but I guess forever lasts forever. But outside of that, you know, it's, it's rough. Uh, hopefully, uh, like I said, we don't have an exact update, but when you say residential care from all the masters, you kind of wonder what's going on with that. Like I said, again, I don't want to speculate on that, but it makes, it makes me feel like, uh, kind of a rough situation that's just an announcement but again sorry like I said I don't want to speculate on it a lot you know but again my job is talking about stuff so sometimes I say stuff and like I said I don't I don't want it to seem like I have any inside information or, or that it might be worse than it is hopefully he's you know just going through a rough time physically but hopefully he'll bounce back and things will be wonderful they do have uh, different treatments that have just been out for us so maybe that'll help as well so I'm hoping that's the case but Anyway, I, I figured uh, now would be a good time to uh, give a little bit of rundown of his career because since I was already planning on discussing another wrestler anyway, uh, on this show I figured we'd uh, do a little bit of a retrospective of his career. 
he was actually born June 30th, 1944, in Hammond, Indiana. Uh, fun fact, if you're listening, uh, if you have any idea on how Hammond, Hammond is like the next city over from Chicago, even though Teddy's across state, but Chicago is directly next door to Hammond, Indiana. Uh, Hammond, Indiana is next door to the city I grew up in, Gary, and Gary is the next door city to Delegate now, so, uh, Interesting. Like I said, the Boogie Woogie Man is also from Hammond, so I often forget that uh, Terry Funk was born in Hammond because we, so, we associated with Texas so much, but yeah, he was definitely born in Hammond, Indiana. So uh, Anyway, he's wrestled pretty much every promotion that you can imagine. If you named it, he's done it. Uh, he's obviously NWA, All Japan, or Wrestling Federation, uh, World Championship Wrestling. Uh, IWA Japan, uh, NWA, WWF, ECW, bounced back to WCW again. He's done the independent surf for a long time. He later came back multiple times for WWE for different events. And like I said, he's pretty much consistently worked on the independent circuit since 2006 up until, I believe, 2017, I believe, is the last match I saw listed for him. Uh, uh, I guess the last the, the last official match I have listed for him is September 22nd, 2017. Uh, so uh, that was big time wrestling. Uh, Rally Corner, North Carolina. He teamed with the Rock and Roll Express uh, when they defeated Doug Goober, Jerry Lawler, and uh, Ryan Christopher. Uh, that's a sort of another sad situation right there. Though. Let's not get off topic. Uh, he didn't. He didn't just uh, wrestle as well. He did uh, act. He appeared as a bouncer in the movie Roadhouse. Uh, he was in uh, Beyond the Mat, part of the documentary. <laughs> it was weird. Like I said, it was. We talked about his retirement. Like a good, a good, uh, almost twenty years before he did finally appear to retire. If it turns out he was indeed finally done. Uh, he appeared in a western called Wildside uh, back in 1985. He actually uh, choreographed the street fight between Rocky Balboa and Tommy Gunn in Rocky Five. I was not even aware of that. I probably, I probably, I probably knew it at some point, but I, I didn't remember that. I just happened to see that now when I was, in, I was sort of studying, studying his uh, long illustrious career. He, he even did a uh, soft rock album in 1984. Uh, Great Texan. It is considered a cult classic, but it came up to sort of mixed reviews. He's been in several WWE video games. He was in uh, SmackDown vs. Raw 2008, SmackDown vs. Raw 2011, and uh, he was actually in WWE 13 as a downloadable character, uh, Charlie Chains, Chainsaw Charlie, rather. So uh, let's dig a little bit more into his uh, wrestling career. Uh, He's held the ECW World Heavyweight Championship, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, the USWA Unibite World Heavyweight Championship, uh, WWF World Tag Team Championship, ECW World Television Championship, among some of the many wonderful uh, titles he's held. Uh, he's been in many Hall of Fames. He's in WWE, WCW, NWA, and Hardcore Hall of Fame. Uh, so he actually started out in the... Uh, mid-60s, 
NWA Western States Wrestling. Uh, from there, he sort of bounced around a bit. Uh, did a NWA Championship Wrestling Florida for like 12 years. Uh, and uh, by the way, this is a territory day, so before they had a bidding door that was open, you know, you might bounce around with different companies, different territories, but particularly with NWA, you sort of kind of came and went. And, you know, there was a lot more sharing of talent back then prior to, you know, what we're, what we're just starting to get used to now. The NWA Western States from 65 to 79. Uh, NWA Championship Wrestling from 70 to 82. All Japan Wrestling 72 to 91. And he was in a WWE from 85 to 86. Uh, that was my first uh, major exposure to Terry Funk. Because for one, that's kind of like just when I sort of just started watching wrestling in that era. Uh, side note, I thought that I started watching wrestling in 85, but I'm sometimes questioning that. Maybe I started watching it earlier because maybe it's just that's when I started watching WWF. When you're a kid, sort of things sort of run together. Because I feel like uh, I remember watching the David Von Eric uh, memorial show. Uh, some footage from that on World Class Championship Wrestling. And that happened a bit earlier than I realized. So maybe I started watching World Class before I started watching WWF. And maybe that was a late coming to that. But anyway, I'll probably get into that a little bit. Not so much later on this show, but maybe in the future show when we talk about some old school wrestling again. Uh, I want to be focused a little bit more on a, a couple of talents in this show. Like I said, I will get to the other talent I want to address a little bit later in the show, but there was two main, uh, Legends that I want to discuss for various reasons today. Uh, but that World Wrestling Federation uh, run in 85 and 86 when I first sort of uh, became aware of him. Because uh, that's that's the one he had with his brother, uh, Dory Funk Jr. Although for some stupid reason, like WWF always has to change people's names for no good reason. So he went by Hoss Funk. And that was later confusing to me when I realized... Uh, you know, retroactively, I was like, okay, that's a different guy. Dory Funk was also a champion. For some reason, Terry went by his real name, but Dory didn't. That was kind of dumb to me. <laughs> but that was definitely a confusing thing for, for a kid. And when I got older, I started realizing, you know, some of the different WWF games, they played with people's names and whatnot, whether they tweaked the name or changed the name, but sometimes not really apparently valid reasons to me. But yeah, not only did they wrestle as a tag team, eventually they had the, they, they, they had a kayfabe brother come in, Jimmy Jack Funk, which was like a crazy gimmick. Uh, the third brother, they kept sort of locked in a bunkhouse or something like that. He wore like, he wore like a long ranger mask. And it was basically, looking back, it was kind of as dumb as the last one <laughs> gimmick. But although that was, uh, I would say this one's worse uh, as far as my perspective because it's a, a fake brother mixed in with a real brother's worse than a fake cousin mixed in when you'd already sort of established Waldo Van Eric, who was supposed to be Lance Hunter's dad, I guess. I, even though I wasn't aware of that, I just knew he was supposed to be, quote, you know, nephew or cousin to the brothers and nephew and Fritz. I guess the, I guess it sort of depends on how you look at it because uh, in Texas I guess I was not I was not aware of that being from uh, the Chicago area North of Indiana I was not aware that uh, everybody in Texas knew there's no way that that guy's actually related to you 
I don't know. I don't know how Waldo Von Eric fit into the mix, whether or not they knew that Waldo was actually <laughs> Fritz's brother or not. But for some reason, they definitely knew that. Yeah, that's not that's that's not your uh, nephew slash cousin. So I don't know what the WWF fans knew about uh, Jimmy Jack. <laughs> and the other thing weird thing about Jimmy Jack, he was sort of they used to have these uh, six man tag matches a lot in WWE in, in the uh, mid eighties, even though there was no six man title. So that made it made up make a lot less sense to me for having it, but I did enjoy those matches. Uh, the other weird thing, you know, a little bit of a side tangent, but WWE would often have these six-man tag matches, and I think it felt like to me that heel teams won them more times than not when they had six-man tags, particularly at least on the uh, syndicated shows that I watched because I didn't have cable, so I mostly watched syndicated shows like Challenge, Superstars, you know, All-American Wrestling, that sort of stuff. It would be like it would always be like three stars or at least, you know, high mid-card guys on the heel team. And then the face team would have like two stars slash mid-card guys and one jumper. <laughs> so as a kid, even though I was not aware, you know, that wrestling was, quote, scripted, eventually I began to realize the pattern. I'm like, oh, yeah, Scott Casey's on this team. They're going to lose. <laughs> he's gonna, and he's going to take the pin. <laughs> so, oh, the Tonga kid. Yep, yep. He's gonna lose this. <laughs> he's 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 the guy gonna take the loss in this match. And he would. And the, the even worse part was he would always get the hot tag. <laughs> like, no. If you got one guy on your team that's obviously weekly, don't tag him. In. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, to Terry Funk's run. Like I said, uh, Jimmy Jack Funk was a weird thing. He would long range match. All this was weird. And then you know. Eventually, once Haas and uh, Terry left, Jimmy Jack was sort of the last funk standing, even though he wasn't a real funk, although I didn't know that at the time. He just jobbed himself into oblivion after those guys left. Anyway, I don't, I don't remember as much about his uh, world championship uh, wrestling runs in 89 and 90 and also 94. Uh, I never, I was pretty much once from the time I started watching wrestling, I never really stopped, but I didn't have cable as much. and. Uh, and a lot of times I might have like uh, cross country practices and stuff, so I didn't necessarily always get to watch Saturday night and stuff like that either. That was that was pre Nitro, and like I said, that's uh, I think ninety two or ninety three is around the time I actually did get cable, so I could actually watch some of the uh, cable programming. Obviously, I didn't really get a chance to watch IWA Japan or King of Deathmatch tournament stuff. Uh, I didn't get to watch ECW first time around as much. I, I, I was not able to watch ECW and actually see it until around uh, late spring of 98 because that's when I moved to Florida and I get uh, Sunshine uh, Network. So I was, I was going to college for Virginia. We had very, very limited options, and uh, I could not watch ECW then. But I did sort of follow it online in the very, very early days of the Internet text computer where I didn't really see pictures. I just saw text. That's another uh, thing that if you're one of the younger listeners, you won't realize, you know, if you went to college, you might have had a good computer where you had pictures, but you might have just had like a sort of terminal style computer where all you got was text because those were much cheaper to put out. So they put those in the dorms a lot of the times and they put the quote good computers in the lab. And if you didn't want to go to the lab, of course, uh, at the time I was not, as aware of what the internet was, so I didn't really give a crap about the picture. I was going into it for information anyway and just to talk to people. 
once I started getting a habit of actually seeing, you know, pictures and stuff on it, I was like, yeah, I need to go ahead and do that now. But anyway, he did he did make that return to uh, WWF 97-8. That was a Chainsaw Charlie era. On the one hand, I thought it was kind of stupid that you give, you know, this legend sort of funny gimmick. But on the other hand, the gimmick was kind of good, so I couldn't complain too much. Uh, you later had that old age outlaws run in WCW, which is kind of funny. I felt kind of at, at that point it kind of made a little bit more sense for like if you put him and Zabisco and Arn Anderson together in a stable, it kind of made a little bit more sense. And they were feuding with the sort of the last run of the NWO. And of course, like I said, I mentioned he did have his uh, he did have a nice long run with uh, on the independent scene. Uh, he was like a ring aside enforcer for a Ring of Honor championship. And that's between uh, Tyler Black and Marty Strong at one point. Uh, he did a pro, a pro wrestling gorilla show uh, in the Legend of Battle Royal. He ended up being a limited by Roddy Piper. He wrestled uh, Jerry Lawler in a host bar contest for Northeast Wrestling back in 2011. He even faced his longtime friend and protege, Tommy Dreamer, at the uh, AW, uh, AWE, rather, Legend, Night of a Legends event. So I do want to thank the uh, fine people at Wikipedia, which is, you know, a lot of random fans for the most part, uh, that sort of helped, you know, put together this uh, this great uh, bit of information. Uh, some of the sources, obviously, you know, Wikipedia is not technically a source, but they did provide uh, some of the different sources that were used for this, or I'll name some of those sources as well. Uh, obviously, you have uh, PWI Insider was one of the sources. Slam Wrestling is one of the sources. Online World of Wrestling is one of the sources. So, and CageMesh.net as well. So, a lot of uh, great sources are cited in this Wikipedia article. So, I know you don't really want to use Wikipedia as, your, as a quote main source, but it is nice to get some of the casual information. And I did want to give some of the more deep embedded sources uh, some of the information. But obviously, he's a legend. He's had a great career. And it's, you know, very sad what he's going through now. But Kind of figure when you go through a hardcore quote style of wrestling, uh, I would not be surprised if you had a help uh, too many uh, concussions and head trauma to count. You know, so I don't think that, like I said, obviously you can't say for 100 percent sure that that's the case, but it would it would be made to think that that would be the main cause, of sort of going through dementia issues and stuff like that when you're uh, still in your uh, mid 70s, roughly. So uh, we wish him and his family the best, and uh, like I said, we hope this is this is hopefully it's uh, like I said. He, they say he has good days and bad days. Hopefully, he'll have more of the good days than the bad days, and hopefully, the bad days will go away. Like I said, there are sort of new re- recent release uh, treatments, and hopefully, those will you know alleviate some of the issues. Uh, there are sort of mixed opinions on those. I won't even get into that because uh, I don't want to debate another medical question. You got to. We have enough COVID debate stuff on the show, so I don't want to get too much into the medical stuff unless it becomes a direct less wrestling-related topic. So I will move on to the next lesson that I wanted to discuss for this week's show. Uh, earlier today, if you're listening on Monday or uh, if you're listening later in the week, uh, early Monday morning, Paul Orndorff Jr., also known as Paul Orndorff, slash Mr. Wonderful, passed away. Uh, 
He was most known for appearances in uh, WWF and WCW. He worked around. He worked with NWA. Uh, he mainly became a star in the 80s and WWF uh, wrestling uh, era, the rock and wrestling era. Uh, he was managed by Bobby Heenan, and he uh, feuded with Hulk Hogan. Uh, he was friends with Hulk Hogan. He feuded with Hogan. It was sort of a back and forth thing. Uh, but he had a very, very impressive, and I, I feel like I always he's one of those guys that, after the fact, I always felt like I uh, didn't quite give him the credit. You know, he, I definitely gave him the credit in the mid in the mid eighties, rather. But it felt like I never really gave him enough credit after the fact for what he did. Uh, but, you know, when, when wrestling was in its boom, he was right there at the top competing in main events. There's something I wasn't really aware of until, like I said, until I just started looking over his career, you know, today and sort of looking back. Uh, he actually debuted uh, in WWF the night that Hulk Hogan defeated Iron Sheik for the WWF World Heavyweight title. And basically the day Hulk Hogan was born, so... That right there sort of just puts them together just like that. Uh, he actually did have early on his career, Roddy Roddy Piper was his manager. I was not aware that Piper was managing at that point either. So that's something else that I learned today. Uh, but that was January 23rd, 1984, uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, Orndorff was one of the first people to challenge uh, for the world title. Literally just coming right into the main event less than a month after his debut. So that's impressive. Like I said, this is all stuff that I was not aware of until uh, until I you know, started looking at his career today. Uh, this, like I said, this is a little bit, this is slightly ahead of my following the WWF. So I was not aware of a lot of this stuff. This stuff sort of happened, I'd say, in a year or two before I started watching it. <laughs> so definitely interesting. Uh, Eventually, when uh, Roddy Piper assaulted uh, Cindy Lauper, uh, that sort of brought uh, Orndorff and Piper on a collision court with Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Uh, and since Hogan was feuding with Piper, that sort of brought Orndorff back into the main event. Uh, he defeated Tony Atlas at the worst out of the score. Eventually, sort of the fallout from what settled score led to WrestleMania being uh, started. That's when you had Hogan and Mr. T back by uh, Jimmy Snuka. They took on Roddy Piper and Paul Ando with uh, Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. Uh, I would see Randy's dad if you're a younger fan. and Hopefully, you know, most young fans lose know that because they have referenced that on TV multiple times. But hopefully, they're aware of that. Eventually, uh, Orton interfered in the match and it backfired because he was going to hit one off with the cast. That was one of my favorite old school wrestling gimmicks where, uh, <laughs> Cowboy Bob Orton was wearing a cast for like, it seems like 20 years. <laughs> Eventually his arm did heal, I guess. But, you know, there have been later versions of that, not necessarily the cast, but you've had, like, D-Lo with the sort of chest protector and other guys with chest protectors and stuff and neck braces and all kinds of various long-term injuries that Colt never seemed to heal. Actually, that's that's one we haven't seen, I don't think, in a little while, so it actually would be a good one to bring back for somebody. Uh, 
So we'll probably hopefully see that sometime soon. But anyway, back back to the Richard topic. Mr. Wonderful. Uh Orndorf got blamed, so they ended up tackling on Sunday's main event. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is the deal. Each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, later, Orndorff ran to the ring when Piper Horton was trying to double-team Hogan, so they sort of became allies at that point. And he obviously publicly fired his manager. So uh, this is sort of a nice sort of, you know, it's, it's wrestling. So particularly in the main event picture, your enemies, then your friends, then your enemies. So that's just sort of the way things worked out. So at one point, Keenan put a bounty on Orndorff. Uh, eventually, at some point, they had Bruno San Martino put a special referee and hope was keeping the peace between some of this crazy stuff that's happened with between Orton and Piper and Hogan and Orndorff, so definitely, definitely interesting stuff. Uh, this is something that I sort of forgot about. Adrian Adonis got involved in this feud. He started calling uh, Hogan Jr. Mentioned that he going soft by team with Hogan. He was a uh, Daring him to quote prove 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 how close his relationship with Hogan was. Wonder was told that Hogan was uh, too busy training to come to phones was something that gravitated him, uh, aggravated him. I mentioned they did team against the Moon Dogs. Wonder first most match by himself, trying to upstage Hogan. So they, they they definitely did a long sort of burn to this feud. So. Eventually, they, they did have a, uh, at one point, uh, you had Hogan Orndorff against Brick Johnstead and Keith on Bundy. They collided. Orndorff, uh, got knocked off the apron by Hogan. Stud and Bundy double team Hogan. Orndorff didn't help. He, first he was just looking around like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm too hurt to get involved and just sort of, you know, just watching him and, so, oh yeah, I can't get in. Just yet. eventually, he did sort of get in and sort of pull him off of him. Then he sort of helped Hogan up. He was doing a thing where I can't jump in, even though technically the match had already been ended. The match had been stopped. Uh, there had been a DQ. Eventually, he did sort of get in and pull him off of him. But then, you know, as soon as he helped Hogan up and gave him a hug, and he just gave him an old school uh, attack, and then he power drove him. So. Uh, that was one of the big moments uh, when you were when you're a young Hulkamaniac. You had Orndorff turning on Hogan. You had Andre the Giant turning on Hogan. Those were like probably until until the Andre thing. The Orndorff turning on Hogan was like one of the biggest uh, things and the biggest sort of unfair things that you know as a kid you watch yourself. Man, that's disgusting. So. Uh, but yeah, they they were doing like they did the they hit they made the event the, the big event and uh and they did like something like uh 
60,000 some people. Uh, yeah, 76,000 76, people. Uh, there's pictures of that online and they were going around on Twitter. They're like, people were like, this was in t- Toronto. And they're like, you know, this is an impressive crowd, but you also realize this is not a WrestleMania. <laughs> that was as big as, you know, WrestleMania crowds at the time. So, and I, I actually do remember this match that they had a steel cage match in a Saturday's main event number nine. That was one of the minutes where they both climbed over and they touched the floor at the same time. It was decided it was a draw, so the match restarted. Uh, and that was a, that was an impressive thing because back then you didn't have the same ability that you had sort of uh, to time stuff out. So the fact that they did that and the timing on it was so good and impressive that it actually looked like it matched up, that was very, very impressive for that time. Uh, eventually, Hogan did work did win that match after a leg drop, but uh, and this was the old school WWF cage, because at some point, I, I, I believe it was, I believe it was at that era, during the Hulk Hogan's era, but previously, because I've seen like Bruno matches that were in steel cage, they look like the traditional steel cage, chain link. They had these like big, thick iron bars where you could see into the cage much easier, but the cage looked kind of goofy because it was like a red, right, and blue cage, sort of. So, Anyway, you want to you want to look at it is as a kid I prefer that as an adult it looks stupid to me so that, that's just one of those things where you look at it at one point in your life and you like it and another point you didn't I think it, it also might have been as a kid well I liked NWA and I liked WWF I probably liked WWF more I liked the sort of more the cartoonist aspects of WWF at the time uh, as opposed to the more greedy realism of NWA at the time. I kind of look at it sort of the other way now, though, you know, as far as uh, I prefer my gimmicks not be too cartoony. You can you can have a few cartoony guys here and there on your mid card just to sort of add stuff out. But, you know, as a general rule, mostly in, in, in on your main event, uh, with the exception of like a guy like Horace Cassidy, who just does such a great job at it that you, you can't help it. But, but anyway, uh, he did eventually sort of hurt himself during weightlifting accident, and that was right in, in sort of the middle of the big money Hogan run, so he didn't want to take time off. So he just kept wrestling, 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 and uh, he was eventually forced to take time off with it. So that's when uh, Ravish and Rick Rude came in to take on those place in the Heenan family. Uh, and he ended up uh, returning to the ring uh not too long after that, he took like a few months off. He actually did get a decent uh, response from the crowd when he came back to his return. So they ended up changing his character. He ended up firing Bobby Heenan and began a few with Rick Rude. So. And he did eventually take Oliver Humperdinck as his manager. And at the Survivor uh, Series in 87, the first Survivor Series, that was sort of his last big run in WWF. Uh, he teamed with Hulk Hogan, Bam Bam Bigelow, Ken Pater, and Don Morocco to take on Under the Giant Woman again, King Kong Bunny, Rick Rude, and Bush Reed. So, uh, Orndorff got eliminated pretty early with a roll off. And then his final match was like early 90, early 88 against Rick Rude at the house show. He did eventually retire, like I said, around that 88, and he ended up running his bow alley. 
there were rumors that he died. Obviously, that was false. Uh, Nancy put it in newspapers for made it sort of worse. These weren't just sort of these sort of internet rumors where pretty much everybody dies at some point. Uh, when he did come back eventually in uh, uh, early 90, I believe it was, his right arm was significantly smaller due to the neck injury that caused some nerve damage and eventually some atrophy of his right biceps. He did eventually come back uh, uh, and ended up wrestling Kerry Von Eric on the independent circuit. Uh, after that, he did eventually come back to WCW. I mean, he had a uh, that was sort of a brief run, but he ended up becoming to uh, Universal Wrestling Federation at UWF. They had a lot of former WWF talent at that time. They had the Killer Bees, uh, Lou Albano, although the Killer Bees went by mass confusion in the UWF. Uh, Jimmy Simplastuber, Lee Sorden, Don Morocco. Uh, he actually went there and feud with Dr. Jeff Steve Williams at the time. So, and like I said, this was this this era was sort of uh, when you were just sort of gradually fading away from the territory days because. Obviously, uh, the Dallas, you know, uh, Texas area has sort of been like uh, big-time wrestling. It became world-class in the mid-'80s, you know, sort of sort of trying to take the regional part out of their name to make them seem more national and quote, international. Uh, you had, like, the territories like Mid-Atlantic and uh, Mid-South and stuff sort of gradually faded away. They started becoming companies like Univers- uh UWF and stuff like that. Uh, UWF was actually on Sports Channel America nationally and on, on ESPN2 and uh, Prime Takers and other places. So you sort of had the uh, you sort of had the situation where they were uh, sort of going away from that. So uh, just as they started to get away from that. So you ended up having you know, a decent run there as well as uh, a decent run of Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 92. Uh, it was in a tournament uh, to crown the first SMW heavyweight uh, champion. Uh, he attacked Hector Guerrero, who he ended up defeating to sort of get into the tournament. Uh, there were other people like uh, sort of Ronnie Garvin and Robert Gibson and Tim Porter in that area at that uh, time. He ended up getting, quote, fired from Smoky Mouth Wrestling after Pod Drop and Referee in 92. He eventually came back to WCW. He was, or he was WCW uh, or television champion. Uh, he ended up being in a tag team called Pretty Wonderful with uh, Paul Roma. And I'm going to be honest, I was never a Paul Roma, huge Paul Roma guy. I sort of saw the potential in him when he was like a, a young cat in WWF. He's one of those guys that sort of never actually took the next step in my eyes. Uh, but anyway, uh, ended up having a few with uh, Mercado Desert Bandwell and Tuco Scorpio. They took time off the main to sort of get back together. Uh, Anyway, uh, they they sort of were together off and on for about two years. He had a uh, after that, you know, he was just sort of uh, 
a singles competitor. He didn't really have a lot of uh, great run at that point afterwards. Uh, he did have do some sort of interesting stuff though. He uh, he did have the uh, he did the sort of thing where he didn't want to forget he was Mr. Wonderful. Uh, he was visited by a psycho, which was nuts. And I'm I on one hand I'm sad, on the same on the other hand I'm kind of glad I don't remember this crap. But he was visited by a psychic called Gary Spivey. I don't remember Gary Spivey at all. I don't remember being a psychic. I remember Miss Cleo, and that's about it from psychics from that era. But uh. But basically, he's, he basically became more arrogant, started carrying the mirror around, and and that was sort of the thing he did at that point. So, anyway, he was more comic relief sort of at this point. Uh, again, post the injury and you know a lot of stuff. He, all things considered, he had a pretty pretty decent run after coming back from the injury. He still sort of stuck around for the most part of like five years when he wasn't quote wasn't himself anymore. I didn't I was not aware of that when I was a kid. Of course, you know, maybe I just wasn't, you know, I didn't pay that close of attention to his body. <laughs> I knew, I didn't think about the fact that he was just sort of the same guy, but I wasn't paying that close attention either. But in any rate, uh, like I said, he was one of those, he was one of those guys when, he, when I was a kid. He sort of played a very, very important role in wrestling. And again, like I said, he was in the main event picture. If you were a main event, you know, Thousands and tens of thousands of crowds with uh, Hulk Hogan. You know, there's only a few guys that could really say that they, you know, infused it more than that. So much. you had Andre the Giant, maybe King Gone Bundy, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. So it's, it's a very uh, Roddy Piper. You know, it's a short list of guys. So, and he's uh, right there with you know some of the best in the business at doing that. So. Uh, Shout out to Rest in Priest, to uh, Paul Lorndorf, and uh, Mike Dolezis, to his family and friends. So. Definitely, you know, rough time, but I figured we'd take this time to, you know, sort of celebrate some legends in the business. Uh, Brian should be joining me very, very shortly, so I'm going to try to get him in, you know, let him uh, get a chance to sort of uh, weigh in on these topics. And we're going to make some predictions for some of the upcoming pay-per-view stuff. And joining the show now is uh, Brian. Brian, how's it going? It's going good, King, going good. A little bit later than usual, but we just make do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, he did, he did mention that he's sort of been listening and, you know, he, he's aware of my discussions about the show, so uh, about Mr. Funk and uh, Mr. Arndo, so he, he's not going to get into that, so... He shares a lot of my views with these because we're, we're we started watching wrestling around the same time. I think he started just a little bit before I did, but his feelings were pretty much the same as mine. So rather than sort of just reiterate some of the stuff I already said, we're going to move on to some of the other stuff. We're going to get into some of the news and make some predictions for the uh, uh, the big events coming up this weekend. We got Money in the Bank coming up this weekend, and we got some bursts coming up this weekend. So, but before we get into that, we did want to discuss a few uh, news items. Majorly, wrestling is announcing. Is launching his women's division this summer. Uh, they made the announcement shortly before they did the, the taping of uh, the 2300 Arena for uh, their return. He did Battle Riot three, so we're not going to discuss Battle Riot three because I don't want to do I don't want to do any spoiler related content. But the head of the uh, well, not necessarily head of division, but he's going to spearhead the initiative. Is the way they're describing it. Is the founder of Shimmer, Dave Prezak. So. Uh, he has this to say about the NLW's women's division. 
Doing my 25 years working in the sport thus far, I've had opportunities to serve in a number of different capacities for many companies. We should focus on different types of professional wrestling. It is that variety of styles and random elements which makes me most excited to join the team at Major League Wrestling. So he also added, I have been focused greatly on promotion of wrestling over the years. I value the chance to assist some very disturbing shimmering athletes in receiving opportunities to grow by entering the MLW ranks. Now, one of the things I was wondering, does this mean shimmers going away? Does this mean they're mostly going to use shimmer talent? So we haven't got a lot of information on that so far, but uh, I don't see anything about Shimmer closing down, so I think this could be like very, very, a very, very close partnership. We'll use some of the same talents, and I think that's the way it's going to work. So, what are your thoughts on this? Are you excited about MLW starting a women's division, or do you think this is going to go poorly? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, you kind of um, froze on me a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, do you, are you excited for this sort of a uh, thing where the women's division is going, or are you think is do you think it's going to be let down? Do you think they're going to do a great job? How, how do you think this is going to play out? I think it should, um, I, I think it, um, it, it, it do well, though. Uh, do you think there will be anybody in particular that will benefit the most from this? Let, let's look at some of the talent on the rosters. Allison Kay, Alice Crowley, Brittany Blake, uh, Delmi Exo, which are some of the names. They also, Kimberly is technically the champ, although she is technically right now with uh, – She's now with uh, Impact, as far as I know, even though she's technically their champion. Layla Hirsch, I believe, is actually signed to All Elite Wrestling, but uh, that's where she came from. Marty Bell is definitely somebody's talented, I think, can you know, sort of benefit from that. So uh, any of those names you think will be particularly interesting? Um, I am curious about um, um, Marty Bell. Um, I remember her from um, Impact, where she was with um, the Dollhouse, and as you know, um, um, oh, okay, um, I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, da, 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 um, two thirds of the doll have, or, um, actually, um, it, it was four of them, but, um, two of the, um, four members of, of the doll house had became really successful. And, um, uh, one, and one in particular is still on, um, uh, at least she's still on television right now, um, uh, Rebel. I forget, Rebel was part of the dollhouse? I forgot yes. about that. I don't even remember that. I remember her with the uh, sort of sort of carnival size thing she was doing with Nux yeah. and all those guys. I did not realize. Yeah, she, yeah I remember I remember, I remember. Mia Yim was part of it. I remember. Uh, and Marty. It, 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 yeah, it, it was Marty, uh, Mia Yim, Marty, and uh, and uh, Tammy Terrell. Oh, yeah, Tammy Terrell, yeah. So, yeah, I, I forgot about that. So, but, yeah, like I said, I, I definitely. And it's weird looking at like what Miriam has done since then. Like those characters don't seem <laughs> to work together at all. But that's sort of what happens in wrestling sometimes. Sometimes you sort of get cast as one character, and the character you really want to be is pretty much nothing like that. Because if you look at what she's done, like in uh, NXT, I think that's probably more akin to what she really wants to be. She, she hasn't completely got the chance to do it on the main roster yet, but in NXT, I think that's kind of what she wants her character to be. It's sort of more tough, badass sort of character. Uh, the, the most similar character that I also would say that me and thing is some, somebody that did something similar, uh, Rhea Ripley, because Rhea Ripley sort of did the sort of, I'm a pretty blind character when she was early in her, uh, I guess it was a Mae Young uh, classic, classic yeah. that she was in earlier. She sort of did this pretty blind 
think. And she's like, no, I want to be a little bit more punk, a little bit more rock and roll. And I think that's been close to her character, and, and that's been a you know good change for her too. I think so. Uh, but anyway, uh, definitely something to look forward to. Like I say, MLW should be able to do a great job because they do a great job with men wrestling. And normally, when companies put on great action-packed wrestling in the ring, usually the women division sort of matches. My one exception to that rule is Ring of Honor has not really done a good job with the women's division as yet so far. But, again, I think part of Ring of Honor's problem is they were sort of, you know, trying to get their stuff together just as WWE has sort of snatched up a lot of the talent. And then Impact has pretty much always, you know, been relatively strong within the women's division, so they've done a good job. So they're sort of trying to catch up to them. And, of course, AEW coming on the scene also wanted to snatch a lot of the talent they wanted. So we'll just have to see how this goes. Uh Next, we've got Brian Pillman Jr. signs a full-time contract with AEW. I, for, I, didn't, I had not realized that he was, because I guess he was still technically on the contract with MLW, uh, and it just worked out that he could sign with AEW and sort of work both companies, even though he hasn't really done that much with MLW lately because MLW wasn't doing that much. But I guess MLW had deals where they couldn't work with certain other companies but since when he signed his deal, AEW didn't exist, it meant he was free to work there. So I guess their deal is different. Some deals spell out that you can't work for other companies. Some deals spell out which companies you can't work. And so since AEW didn't exist, he sort of was sort of double dipping, I guess, at that point. Well, I guess as long as his AEW duties did not uh, conflict with his MLW duties, he could, you know, work other places. But also I noticed that happened a couple days ago, but also I noticed today that Griff Garrison has signed as well. So both of the varsity blondes have signed uh, full-time deals with AEW. Uh, I haven't seen any word on Julia Hart yet, but at least the two male stars of the faction are under contract. So they've been gradually moving up the ranks for like the last, you know, I guess six months or so. So I think good things are in the future for both of those guys. Uh, what are your feelings on Brian Pillman and Griff Garrison signing? Uh see, with them, it's it's kind it's kind of like um they got potential, but I don't really think that AEW know what to do with them um as of yet. It's it's kind it's kind of like um I think they're gonna be the team that's like together, and then they're gonna um. Like do their own individual thing, and then they're gonna probably split them up and everything. Because I um oh okay, I really don't see much with grip from like that. Um, Pillman is pretty much gonna be the star and everything, and I believe Julia is gonna be the one that um um stabs um Griff Gerson in the back. Oh, that is that is I hadn't even thought about how Julia Hart plays in the initial breakup because we all know all tag teams pretty much break up initially. I don't, I think like, I think we're both in agreement that Brian Pillman is the guy that's going to be the star of the two guys because most teams when there's a tag team there's one guy that's going to be the star and one guy that's going to be the guy that's going to phase in the security. There's going to be a Shawn Michaels and there's going to be a Money Genetic. There's going to be a Bret Hart. There's going to be a Jimmy Anvil. There's going to be a Booker T. There's going to be a Stevie Ray. And that's just sort of the way it works when there's a tag team that's popular. 
that's sort of the way it works. But I hadn't even thought about how Jill Hart's going to factor into it all that. So, yeah, actually, they could do it that way or it could be the other way around. They could have her turn her back on Brian Pillman just to sort of help elevate Griff Garrison a little bit more because that's the other that's the other thing. If you do a swerve and it's the obvious way, I don't think, you know, Brian Pillman needs to help that Julia Hart might provide him. Brian Pillman, I think, is going to be a star on his own regardless. But I think they think maybe, you know, if, if they see enough in Griff, that they'll maybe think, okay, we'll put Julia with him and that'll help him out as opposed to, you know, the guy that doesn't really need to help with you, you definitely could be right on that, but I, I could see them going the other way on that. So. Anyway, uh, I think part of the reason, like you said, that they don't necessarily know what they're doing with the guys, I don't know if that's the case. I think the, the case might be more the fact that since they weren't under exclusive contracts just yet, they wanted to push them, but they're like, we're not going to push you too high until you're completely in the fold and under our control. I think that might have been the case, too. Like We'll, we'll give you some – because if you look at the guys that they do push, most of the time when guys – Sort of sign with all elite, and they don't sign that. They sign that first deal, but not the big deal. They they sign the deal where they're sort of like still doing a lot of other indie stuff or working on the companies. Uh, they start losing first, and then maybe they'll get some small wins. But once they sign that big AEW deal where they're sort of exclusive, or you know they have the first right or first refusal, that's when you start getting their push. So I think that'll be the main difference between now and then. I think now. I would be surprised if they don't win the tag team belt sometime in the next, let's say, two years. I would be shocked. Anyway, let's move on to some other stuff before we get up to our predictions. Uh, Bandito is the new Ring of Honor World Champion, so congratulations to him. Uh, did you have a chance to check out Best in the World at all? Uh, only took, um, only caught the highlights. Okay, I haven't. I had a chance to watch it all yet, so I'm not going to discuss it too much in detail. But since I did get that spoiled for me, uh, it's a big enough news story that I'll go ahead and, you know, just discuss a little bit and just, you know, give us congratulations. But I actually do want to have a chance to watch the match before I discuss it too much. Uh, but apparently it was some interesting controversial stuff that went down at the end of this match. So I want to definitely check it out and, and actually see it before I really discuss it. But congratulations for in the meantime. Uh, AEW's general manager, uh, AEW elite general manager does officially have a release date. It's actually going to be an Android and uh, iOS game. Uh, so congratulations on them. Apparently it's going to be released on July 15th. Uh, apparently Audrey Edwards is both the, is not just a referee, but she's also a producer of the video game. Uh, we've just, we've seen her, you know, sort of doing stuff with it. Uh, We've seen Kenny Omega doing stuff with it. So, um, are you excited to play this game, or are you just going to wait for the console game to come out? Where is um, actually? It seems like um, it should um, it it should be a pretty good game to be quite honest. Just with the um, intriguing um, characters, if it's even close to what WWE has as a game and everything, it's it, it, it could be real good. No, if it's close to what WWE has, it's going to be terrible because WWE's last game was terrible. <laughs> but I mean, if you if you mean like the other WWE games, <laughs> but no, I think this game is like this is more like a quote a starter game since this is not being released on a console. Right. I think it'll be fun, but this will be more like uh, you know, those WWE games where like you know they have like the sort of the, the giant characters and that sort of stuff where they do like a little more. 
I can't remember what, what game that was, but they they also had like the games that sort of like Pokemon card games, these two and stuff. I think I think this will be more like on those lines. I don't think the playable part to this will be that important. This is literally more about running the company than it is the actual wrestling part. I think. Uh, I uh, I do apologize if I'm wrong about that, but my I haven't actually seen the footage yet myself. So I'm, I will definitely check out the footage and get a little bit more information on it. But the way it's described to me, this is more like about running a company than actually the play stuff. So I don't think it'll be quite what that is. It'll be like it'll be, it, it might be like more like the franchise mode function as opposed to the actual gameplay stuff. But once I actually see the footage, I will you know comment on this a little bit more when I have a little bit more information about stuff. Last but not least. Uh, Let's make some predictions for these uh, pay-per-views this, this coming weekend. I guess we'll go with Impact uh, Wrestling Slam versus 2021 first. We got one, two, three, four, five, six matches for that. So let's go ahead and uh, see what we got. We got a singles match, Chris Amy versus Moose. Who do you got? Moose. Yeah, I don't see any way, particularly since Moose has just signed a new contract with the company. Chris Samen is an older guy. He's sort of in it in it in that point of his career. I don't think he's there's literally no reason to give Chris Saban the win over Moose in this match. Uh I think Chris will do a great job of making look, Moose look good, but I think Moose definitely gets the win. Moose is sort of in his prime as a wrestler. He just signed the new two year deal. So I don't see any way that Chris Saban gets a win out of this. Next, we had a tag team match. This is, this is a women's match for the Impact Knockouts tag team uh, titles. We got Fire and Flavor, Kira Hogan, and Tasha Steele. The Chance versus Havoc and Mo- Rosemary. Who you got? Uh, I got Fire and Flavor. Ooh, I'm going to have to go the other way. I'm going to go with Havoc and Rosemary. Uh, what makes you think Fire and Flavor is going in? Well, here's the thing, though. Okay. Fire and um, Flavor actually um, been um, okay. They, they actually been doing some things, and whether anyone wants to um, admit it or not, and everything, um, Fire and Flavor actually got. Um, I, I don't I don't want to say the vibe like the beautiful people, but um, they kind of came out of nowhere, and when they put them together. It's pretty much um, been been like highly highly entertaining. I, I don't get me wrong. I definitely agree with you, and I don't think this will be their quote, last chance as champions. I do think they'll at some point probably win the belts again. I just think this particular match. I think Evan and Rosemary is going to win, but I'm glad you did uh, point that out because uh, they definitely are very very talented. They got like a nice young energy. They got like a, they appeal to a sort of different dem- demographic of a lot of the, uh, the other talent on the roster, particularly the female roster as well as the male roster. They, they appeal to a lot of different groups, uh, both, you know, for, you know, a visual presentation for also, you know, personal lives and stuff like that. Uh, so I think, like I said, they, that tag team definitely checks a lot of buses as far as, you know, Helping create a diverse roster, but not just diversity for the diversity's sake. They are very, very talented. It's always great to have diversity, but you don't just want diversity for diversity's sake. You don't just want terrible people on your roster just because because they're different or before they you know check boxes. But they they have the actual talent to back that up as well as being you know talented as well. You know, being good workers in the ring. You know, 
you know, appealing to some different racial and um, gender uh, attraction and stuff like that. So they they definitely have a lot going for them, both as far as in the ring and out of the ring. I do think they'll be back. I don't think I don't think they'll just sort of get jobbed into the ground. I think they're going to lose. I think they'll get the belts back again, but I don't think they're going to. Uh, I just don't think they're going to win tonight. Or when I say tonight, the night this happens. <laughs> anyway, we'll see. Like I said, that's our first major disagreement on the uh, on, a, on a match for the cards. So let's see what else. What else we got? We have Impact World Tag Team Title Match Four Way. Violent by Design. They listed Diener, Joe Doreen, and Rhino, although technically I guess only two of them can actually wrestle, but they are the champs, so this is the Freebird rule. So we'll see which two actually do place in the match. You get members is followed by TJP versus Swiss One and, and really that versus the Good Brothers, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson. Who do you got? Uh, actually, I could see the tag team champions retaining the titles. Hmm. This is actually a tough one because, like I said, I could probably come up with a valid argument for everybody except for Falaba and TJP. Uh, Falaba does not seem to be the guy that he's going to get a major title push anytime soon. He's he's a he's a solid part of the roster, but he doesn't seem to be the guy that they're really pushing. Uh, TJP, while he definitely has credentials, you know, to at any given point to sort of win in title, since he's sort of bouncing around between New Japan and Impact and uh, just sort of, you know, appearing all over the world and stuff. He doesn't appear to be getting pushed any one place. So he sort of likes sort of bouncing around. He's making good money work for all these companies. He doesn't quote really need to push, and he does win enough sort of minor matches just enough with his resume to sort of keep him relevant. So I don't think they're going to win. Uh, Rich Swan and, uh, was was a recent rivalry champion. You had him and Willie Max, so they definitely have credibility. Uh but I think I, I I think they want the exposure, so I think they're going to put the belt back on the Good Brothers now, just because they're the most famous team. And since they're getting all that exposure on uh, AEW Dynamite, and uh, fortunately for them, their most recent ratings have not been great on uh, Impact Wrestling. In fact, if the ratings numbers were correct, they actually did like I think under seventy thousand viewers this past uh, week. So you definitely want to. Put the belt back on some star power. What better way to do that than put it on the Good Brothers? So I'm gonna go with the Good Brothers. Take uh, get the belts back. Yeah. Uh, so we disagreed again. So actually, that's that's good. Disagreement is actually good as far as uh, for debate. So next we got an Impact Knockouts title match. We got Diana Perazzo versus a Mystery Department. And uh, I have no idea. The mystery point will be. So, who do you got? You got Deanna Peraza or you got the mystery deployment? Uh, you know what? I will actually go with Deanna Peraza. Yeah. When I don't know who the opponent is, it's very hard for me to say somebody who's not listed is going to beat the person who's been a, you know, decently dominant champion. Uh, I'm not a huge Deanna Perrazzo guy, but apparently a lot of people are, so who am I to argue with them, I guess. So I, I think they're going to keep her in the role. They actually would want to hype the match, I think, in a different way if they actually had somebody that I thought that was, they, they thought was probably going to beat her. So, And normally people don't tend to win the title, you know, the major titles in their debut anyway. So you could probably, you know, 
face somebody that puts up a good fight and then later, you know, win it in a rematch or something. Same Next, we got an Impact X Division title, Ultimate X match. I sort of, I sort of forgot about the X Division title, but you have the oh. champ, Josh Alexander. As soon as I saw him as champ, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, the belt does exist for him. Versus Petey Pump, uh, former BOC Nation uh, teammate, by the way, Petey Williams. Versus Trey Miguel. Versus Rohit Raju. Versus Ace Austin. Versus Chris Bay. Who you got? Uh, I'm, see- um, I'm seeing the champ is going to retain the title. Um, I'm, I'm seeing one Petey is two. Is, um, oh, okay, he is a very, I think his better days has left him. Um, Raju, I don't see them wanting to push him like that at this point. Um, I, actually, I think he'll probably be a better tag team wrestler. Was it just me? Yeah, I don't, I don't think where he Raju is quite ready. Uh, I don't think he's ready to sort of hold that title yet. Like, to me, it's coming down to two people. Either Josh Alexander retains, or maybe they decide to get Trey Miguel the belt since uh, his uh, former Rascals uh, partners are getting the push, getting some gold. They might want to give him some gold. So I'm I'm sort of torn between Josh retaining and Trey Miguel getting the belt, but I'm going to go ahead and go with Trey Miguel wins the belt since it's ultimate x Max. so that, that'll really be a chance to let him show off his athleticism. So I'm going to go ahead and go Trey Miguel. Uh, Trey Miguel fills up uh, – Pulls off the little bit of an upset and now wins the belt. So that's what I'm going with. Last but not least for the Slimversary uh, card, we got Kenny Omega the champ versus Sammy Callahan. Who do you got? Uh, I will go with Kenny by God Omega. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with it. I, 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 wonder, I wonder who's going to be the guy to kick the belt off Kenny Omega. Slammiversary, if you think about it, would be a good time to do it if you want to, because you want to do it on one of your major pay-per-views. But I don't know if they want to have Sammy Callahan be the guy to do it. Uh, he's every he he has all the talent, and has a great gimmick, and does great work both in the ring and on the mic. So I'm not arguing that. But I think they're I think they're going when they do choose to take the belt off him eventually. I think they're going to do somebody that has a little bit more crossover mainstream appeal, so I don't think it's going to be him. So I'm going to go with Kenny Omega retains. Actually, I think when he does lose the uh, the title, I think they they might actually have him lose the belt on Dynamite, not necessarily to an AEW title, but I figure they'll probably send somebody over and he'll lose the belt. That way you get the title change with more eyeballs on it and it creates more mainstream attention. And then the next night, you just sort of put it on impact, you know, and, and you have that sort of hype leading in so they can the champion with the new belt. So that's my take on it. Okay. So if you've seen anybody doing it, um, who who would be the person? I, do, I, I legitimately don't know yet. I mean, let me let me take a quick look at the roster uh, for them and see if I can come up with somebody. Okay, uh, if you're watching the video or you're listening to the podcast, I actually took a break to actually look up the roster real fast. Uh, but I have two answers, and obviously, since I don't want to, I don't want to sort of go back and forth and be a waffle. So I'm going to pick one of the two. But I'm going to need two people that I think are my candidates, and then I'll pick one. Yeah, W. Morrissey, 
Or you get Mark, Matt Cardona, the former the former uh, <laughs> former WWE guys, but they sort of have mainstream Chris. Matt Cardona's got to have been sort of underutilized. I think you could actually put him in the position and you capitalize on the sort of attention that he used to have and, and get. And I think his fan base would be really excited uh, to see him in the position, the former Zach Ryder. Or you could also go with uh, W. Morrison, uh, the former big cast in WWE. He's another guy that sort of, you know, after having some problems, sort of appeared to get his life together. But he's also a guy that, you know, is, has a major buzz as far as that. And out of these two guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Matt Cardona more so than anything else, because like I said, I, I like them both for, as far as getting some mainstream plus and publicity. But Matt Cardona has proven to be a little bit more reliable of his career. I hope you know W. Morris. He is sort of you know truly his you know beating his demons and finally has got his life together. But I'm still not at that point where. I'd like to see him, you know, do it another year or two before I say, okay, I feel comfortable knowing that I'm counting this guy and knowing that he's ready to be in a position to lead my company. Because he's never actually done that before. He's He's been a famous guy. He's been a popular character, but he's never led a company. So a guy that sort of had these sort of issues that he had, I want to see him, you know, sort of, you know, I want to have a chance to watch him for like a year or two to make sure he hasn't backslid or, you know, sort of, falling back into bad habits. I want to make sure that he's in a good place and continues to be in a good place before I sort of be the one to give him his first big break. Because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the guy that's the world great champion and sort of the face of your company. So I'm going to go ahead and, and go with Matt Cardona as the guy that I think would be the probably the, the good choice to do that. Uh, who, who do you think would be the guy that uh, that should take Kenny Omega down or you think would be a good guy to sort of leave the company in the post Omega era. Uh, let me see. Me, actually, I think it would um prop um it probably okay. I got three um people that make sense. One would be Ace Austin. Uh, the second one would be Moose. And um, okay, the okay the um third one um it um is at is like um my dog horse, but. He actually makes um a little um a little bit more sense though, which um would be Trey Miguel. Okay, I'm I'm definitely gonna say I made a mistake by not including Muse when I did my discussion. He definitely should be in the conversation. So definitely fair play there. Trey Miguel, I like him as a talent, but I don't necessarily know if right now he'd be the guy that I put over Kitty Omega. I do think he has future top guy potential. I don't know if I, he would be the guy that I would necessarily put him in the in the role just yet, but you know that's I still think that is a good answer as far as potential guy who could potentially be the impact world great champion. Uh, now the guy that I'm not as so known as Ace Austin. Go ahead, sell me on Ace Austin. Okay, okay, Ace Austin had okay um has um great matches. Ace Austin has the charisma, he got the personality, and he really haven't been in trouble with the brass like that. Now, I believe that um they um okay when they hit him as X Division champion, he was 
um, one, one of the longest reigning X Division champions um, they had in about five years, at, um, up to the point and everything. And he gives um, just that um, arrogance that that um, okay, best I will probably say would be he he got the potential to be um, as far as uh, charisma as good as Shawn Michaels. Now. On the work level, well, that could be debated though. But he got okay. He got the personality. He he got the in fact that he okay. He could sell you on why you should hate this little smug purple hair prince. And he got a gimmick that no one really has and everything. Where he got the um car and then he cuts your hand um in, in between your hands. Nothing major. That's gonna get you disqualified. Just enough to sting, irritate, and make say, man, that little dirty rat. I, I, I can't stand this. I can't stand this smug um, sob. And they, um, there you go, right there. You okay? When um, I'm trying to think, who, who's the guy? Um, Sam Callahan. He had his run as um, world champion. He was charismatic. He was atypical of what a world champion would be, but. Everyone could not stand this guy, but he was good enough. He um okay, he know how to work the crowd, and he earned it. And I see the same thing in um my man Ace Austin, the Purple Prince. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna give Ace Austin another chance. I don't. He's not a guy I hate, but he's a number of guys that I really right had had a lot of interest in. He's just sort of a guy to me, so. You have sold me. I'm going to give him another chance. I'm actually going to try to focus. And the next time I see him in a match, I'm truly focus on him, both his uh, mic stuff and his ring. And I'm like, uh, I say, I'm not going to say, I won't say, you know, this ne- next mystery show. But I, I say w- within a month, uh, if you're on the show that week, try to get me to, like, see if I've had a reevaluate pain. So g- give me a few weeks. Don't just, we won't lock it in for next week. But, Give me, like, say, like, a few weeks. Like I say, I say definitely uh, by the end um, of next month. Remind me if I don't remember to bring it up. See if I have a reevaluated opinion on Ace Austin. So. Not a problem. Okay, let's move on to some more. Uh, uh, we got our last pay-per-view we want to go ahead and get in and discuss. We got uh, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Right now they have five matches listed for it, so we'll uh, – I guess we'll, we'll do a reverse on what they have listed on this card. I mean, we got a universal title match, Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman versus Edge. Who you got? I'm Reigns. Roman Reigns is the champion, by the way. But who you got? Roman Reigns. Yeah, I, I don't really see a reason to move the belt off Roman Reigns right now. I think, uh, I think, like I said, I think they're very happy with what Roman Reigns is doing as a champ with Paul Heyman is doing them. They're really happy with the sort of angle with him and the Usos. Although, with the Uso getting DY, he might be <laughs> taking a break for a while. But uh, I don't see uh, Edge being Roman Reigns at the moment. I think if, 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 they wanted to, if they wanted to take the belt off of him, they would do it in a more major degree. So if they do that, there might be SummerSlam or something they do it. But I don't think they're going to do it in money the bank. That wouldn't make sense to me, at least. Uh, next, we got a WWE title match. Bobby Lashley, the champ versus Kofi Kingston. Who you got? Lashley. Yeah, they, they seem very happy with uh, 
fight Bobby, so I, I think they're going to stick with him. I think this will be. I think this will be a very, very exciting, interesting match to watch, uh, and definitely will be a better match than the Kobe Kingston match when he fought Brock Lesnar, which was over. <laughs> if you went to the bathroom and accidentally took him on before you came back, the match was over. Actually, that's what this happened. Be a better match. Than I that. missed it. Yeah. I, I I had to catch it on the replay because I literally went to the bathroom. Uh, next, we had a WWE uh, Raw Women's Title match. We had Rhea Ripley champ versus Charlotte Flair. Who you got? Uh, I'm I'm going with uh, Rhea Ripley to retain. Mm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and go. Like I said, Charlotte's always a legit risk to win the title, but I I, I have to agree with you. I don't think they're gonna take the belt off Rhea just yet. The other thing is now that uh, fans are actually coming back after, uh, I guess, I, I think this, uh, I believe this was the last uh, WWE show, Raw, which is tonight if you're you know, listening close to live, or earlier this week if you're listening later in the week. This was the last, uh, they take the Thunderdome apart, so the shows will be recorded on the road again. I think they actually will, uh, will be a little bit reluctant to take the belts off of anybody. Because now that they're going to have crowd, they kind of want to see how the live crowd reacts to some of these champions. Because Rhea Ripley's a relatively new champion. Bobby Lashley's a relatively new champion. You know, he's been around for 20 years or close to it in WWE. This is the first time they put one of the main belts on him. So I think they want to see how a live crowd reacts to him. Uh, obviously, I think they have, I think they, they're pretty happy with Roman Reigns. So I don't think that really matters as, as much as his match. But some of these other champions, they, Especially with the radius dipping, you want to see, okay, who's moving the needle, who's not moving the needle with the left crowd. So I, I think that's the other reason why I'm reluctant to predict any too many major title changes at this figure as well. So uh, anyway, let's move on to the uh, the two main Money in the Bank letter matches. we got the women's match. will be Natalia versus Asa versus Naomi versus Nikki uh, A.S.H. I'm not sure if they're going to call her A.S.H. or Nikki Ash. I'll just say Nikki Ash to be safe. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I don't know if you were aware of the announcement. She's not going by Nikki Cross anymore. She's going by Nikki Ash. Oh, uh, A-S-H stands for Almost Superhero. Uh, Zelina Vega, who was a surprise return to WWE not too long ago. Alexa Bliss and Liv Morgan versus somebody in question marks, because I believe there's going to be a qualifier to determine who gets that last spot. But uh, who do you want to pick for the Money in the Bank women's match? Uh, me, I'm, I'm pick, uh, me, I'm picking actually Alexa. Okay, see, that's exactly who I was gonna pick. So <laughs> we're in agreement on that one. The the fun things they could do and games they could play with having Alexa Bliss, you know, with that, you know, turning out the lights, popping stuff up, all all kinds of stuff she could do to intimidate the, the champions. So I definitely think that makes too much sense for it not to happen. Of course, that's it. It just means WWE will probably screw up things on the stupid. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I think this is this is WWE idiocy proof. So I think Alexa Bliss is going to win the women's money in the big letter match. Last but not least, we got the men's money letter match. We got King Nakamura versus John Mar- Morrison versus Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins versus Drew McIntyre versus Ricochet versus Big E versus Riddle. Who you got? Ah. Uh. I'm going with Big E. 
this is a rough for me because I don't really have a strong pull on this. I don't think it's going to be Morrison because they haven't really been shown the willingness to push him. I don't think it's going to be Kevin Owens. <laughs> Same reason. I think they sort of gave him his big push already. I don't think he's going to get another one. Seth Rollins is probably a legitimate threat to give him a moment to win the belt. Obviously, Drew McIntyre is a threat to win the belt at any given two. Ricochet, I don't really feel like he's a legitimate threat for any of the big titles at this point. I do think he might be actually be a guy that they sort of use on NXT to make a cruiserweight title run or something. Uh, Big E's, he's, he's, a, he's definitely a good guy to sort of be the next guy to sort of get potential push into the title picture, so that's definitely credible. Riddle's a guy they seem to be very high on, <laughs> literally and figuratively. So this is this is actually a tough one for me to pick, but I'm I'm gonna go ahead and go with uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a little bit outside of the box and uh, no, no I can't pull the trigger. I was gonna pull the trigger on Rigor, but I can't because I think until his uh, lawsuit stuff is settled, I don't think they want to pull the trigger all the way on him. I almost went there, but I can't just yet. So that, that that sort of leaves me with like the usual suspects: Rollins, McIntyre, when you said Big E and Nakamura. I'm gonna go ahead and go with uh, Nakamura, though. I know it's a little bit of a surprise, but I'm gonna do something a little bit different. So, like I said, I don't think they want to give it to Rollins again, and McIntyre says he's been out of the, he's been in the picture recently. So I'm, I'm gonna go Nakamura a little bit out of the out of the park, guys. Sort of been close to getting the push, but hasn't quite got it. Uh, I'm going to go with King Nakamura. I don't uh, really, I'm going to be honest. I have less strong conviction in that prediction than some of my other predictions, but I'm still I'm still going to go with it. You can't just always go with the obvious answer all the time. And sometimes you, you talk yourself out of the, the stuff that might make the most sense. But I'm going with him. Anyway, those are our predictions. Uh, we've discussed a lot of the news and we've discussed some lessons this week, so we've had a very, very uh, well-rounded show. Uh, before I get out of here, I'm going to do some shameless promotion. I'm going to let Ryan get some off his chest he has to. Shameless self-promotion. If you're watching the video, you definitely can get your Wrestling With Problems shirt, so please do it. Wrestling With Problems shirt has my logo on it. What more could you want? So get yours uh, on ProWrestlingTees.com. Just look up Pro Wrestling Tees and look up Wrestling With Problems and we'll come to our shirt. You know, and, and and it would help support the show and the network and put a little money in our pockets. So we would greatly appreciate that. So definitely come check that out. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, I'll have my uh, open mic at Deep Point Country Lift by myself, Lake Street, and Nobody Six from Indiana. Come check that out. Mission is free. Happy hour starts at seven. Uh, free giveaways, and then the show starts around eight. So come check that out. That is free. Uh, July 23rd, I believe, that will be, uh, yes, that's correct. July 23rd will be at Anderson Winery with Disposable Theater doing improv. So you can buy tickets for that, 15 bucks. You can go to the Disposable Theater website, uh, Disposable Theater Improv website, or you can also go on Facebook and look at the event, Anderson Winery, and check that out again. It's July 23rd. So get tickets for that again, 15 bucks. Uh, and, uh, I'm trying to think what else I got. I, I think that's it. That's Destin Gordon. So if you're in Wisconsin, you can check me out playing rugby at Pick as 10s, uh, July 17th. That'll be pretty much an all day event. So, uh, definitely come check that out. And again, King David Comedy, King David Lane, Comedy with a K, King David Lane on all major social platforms. Like Brock Bizzo on Twitter, it's at B-R-O-C-K-B-Z-A on Twitter. Uh, Brian, you got any final thoughts or anything you want to shout out before we go? 
Okay, uh, one um, MLW uh, will be returning. Um, that's one of those things that I've been waiting on for a while. Um, and also, um, at, um, as you know, me and the King, we, we, we are... Uh, it looked like he just froze up, so he, he said to watch me on W. I'm sorry about that. Like you froze up for a second. Right. Can you get that last uh, couple sentences out again? Now I was just saying how um, you both um, support indie wrestling, so um, support that on um, um, on the um, various organizations. And um, congratulations to Bandito as world champion. And check out New Japan and New Japan Strong. Oh yeah, and uh, if you're looking for some more wrestling content, there's bunch of free stuff that's on uh, Tubi. Uh, that's a streaming network that's free. There are commercials on it, but they got some good stuff. They got Lucha Underground on there. They got some Combat Zone stuff on there. They got a bunch of uh, wrestling documentaries as far as, but with some good matches in it. So definitely check out some of the content if you want something. To, if, if you need something else to watch, particularly if you're, it's especially good if you're obviously if you don't have a, uh, if you're on Peacock Network and you don't want to spend any extra money for it, but that's definitely a good free resource for some wrestling. There's a lot of good stuff on there, so definitely check it out. Anyway, you've been listening to Wrestling with Problems or you've been watching it possibly if you're on uh, VLCNation.com website. Uh, thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and you have a great week. Hey, this is a total package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off the uh, building. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the... Rocky War. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. 
the worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.